Are you a woman? Do you love free porn? Do you love free erotic stories? Do you love free articles about women's issues? Well, then you are going to love my sponsor's website, Belessa.co. That's B-E-L-L-E-S-A dot C-O. They have free erotic stories, free erotic movies, and as I mentioned, some really interesting articles such as five ways to meet someone that doesn't involve dating apps, five things men should avoid on a first date with a bisexual woman. I guess that article is more for men than women. And why penis shaming is 100% a form of body shaming and why you should not do it. And I am going to agree with you because pleasure comes in all shapes and sizes. So definitely go and visit my sponsors, Belessa.co. And thank you so much for supporting my podcast, Holly Randall Unfiltered. That's B-E-L-L-E-S-A dot C-O. Are you a photographer, either amateur or professional, who've always dreamed of shooting beautiful nude Playboy models? Then you are in luck, my friend, because I am hosting my next photography workshop June 16th through the 18th here in Los Angeles. My model is going to be the beautiful Playboy Plus Cyber Girl of the Month, Bailey Rain. And I'm going to have a mix of small group workshops and private one-on-one sessions. So make sure that you go and visit hollyrandallworkshops.com and sign up. We have so much fun on these shoots and I can guarantee you the most beautiful images of naked women in your portfolio that you will ever have. So please come join us. You will have a blast and you will learn a lot. That's hollyrandallworkshops.com. I hope to see you guys there. Today on the show, I am very excited to have Andrew from the Devil Mask Society and Libby, who is actually my assistant. Now, Libby and Andrew used to be married. That's how I came to be introduced to Andrew. But the reason that we have Andrew on is because he is the founder of, as I said, the Devil Mask Society, which is a organization of people who teach rope bondage. So he's very much involved in the BDSM community. Um, he is an instructor. So we're going to talk about rope bondage. We're going to talk about consent. We're going to talk about the community in general. And he's actually going to do a live tying demonstration on Libby during the show. So I'm very much looking forward to this episode. I think it's going to be very educational and also very sexy. So without any further ado, let's welcome Andrew and Libby onto Holly Randall Unfiltered. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I can actually say that because today is actually Wednesday and my podcast is released on Wednesdays. So I can I can say happy Wednesday because sometimes I record on Tuesdays and then I don't want to say happy Tuesday because people listen to it on Wednesday. <laughs> it's very fucking confusing. He's like, what are we talking about Wednesday? So anyways, the, I do actually have guests today. It's not just about the day of the week. Today <laughs> I have Andrew from the Devil Mask Society. Thank you. Also, time He's, is a flat circle. He's sticking out his chest. I can read his shirt. And then I have uh, Libby, who is my lovely assistant. Hi, everyone. Hi, guys. Thanks hey. for coming in. Great Yay. Yeah, great to be here. Nice to meet you. Yes. So this is my first time meeting Andrew. Yes. And Libby suggested that he come on. Libby, why, why did you suggest that we have uh, this man on? Because Andrew is part of a... The, 
It's called the Devil Mask Society, which he can tell you more about, which is a, a rope-tying community for bondage. <laughs> and they also talk about um, consensual sex and yep. con- just, you know, being conscious of, of people's safety. Yep. And he's also my ex-husband. <gasps> Scandal. Oh, my God. Weirdly, that's how we met. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's how we met. Honor when yeah. we got divorced. <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> so how did you guys meet? Uh, so we met, um, we were both involved in theater in uh, picturesque Bakersfield, California, mm-hmm. uh, the place where our, all art is born. Uh-huh. All uh, dreams come true. Yeah. And uh, I was staging a play uh, that I was directing, and a friend of mine was like, hey, I've got this actress that I think would be awesome for this part. Um, she's been out of the theater scene for a long time, but I think she's looking to maybe do something, so she might be a good fit. It's like, cool. Um, so we met, and she was I cast her in the play, uh, and yeah, kind of went from there. Uh, how we actually first went on a date oh. was that Libby bought me at a bachelor auction that was meant to raise money for our theater. So she paid $70 American for me <laughs> <laughs> and reminded me through the course of our wedding um, – or marriage nearly incessantly that she bought me and that she owned me. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like Libby. It was $70 well spent at the time. (laughs) At the time. (laughs) Well, like, you know, inflation and such. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And you guys are no longer married, but obviously you're still good friends. It's been years. Yes. Yes. Which is great. Yes. I'm still on good terms with my ex too, so I think it's I think it's a good thing. No, it's important. Yeah. I think it's very important. I think it I think it actually says a lot about who you are as a person with the relationships that you have with your exes. Right. You know what I mean? Like if you I have like one ex that like I don't like that I don't talk to anymore. But the rest of them like we're all fine. Yeah. I think it's which clearly means I'm a great person. But we all knew that anyway. I think it's I think it's this (laughs) weird thing where you kind of realize that uh, no matter like what animosity might have developed towards the end of your relationship, Mm -hmm. like there's a portion of my life where Libby knew me better than anyone else. Yeah. And, and it was a large portion of my life, and that, yeah. like, that is valuable. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I was with Andy longer than, sorry, Andrew. I'm the only person that calls you Andy right. yes. because of because of that. Um, I was with Andrew. was the longest relationship I've ever had. Oh, wow. Yeah. So. Wow. I know. I know. So... Andrew. That's me. Tell us a little bit uh, more about um, the Devil Mask Society. I did some reading on it. Okay. And from what I can gather, you teach uh, rope bondage. Yep. And you do it for free. A lot of it, yeah. Uh, so the Devil Mask Society is kind of an anarchist collective of rope artists. We've been around for going on seven years now. Uh, we were formed through teaching and learning. So I had some mentors uh, when I was looking to learn about rope bondage that I happened to run into. Mm-hmm. Um, I had great uh, lessons from them for free for nearly two years. So mm-hmm. like every week for two years, I would go over to, to these people's house and they would teach me like whatever I wanted to know. And when I get done, one of the main sort of tenets of them teaching me was like, cool, go forth and teach and pass on along, pass along the knowledge that mm-hmm. we have given you to whomever. Mm -hmm. Um, So my current partner and I have been teaching together for about five years now. Mm -hmm. Uh, We teach locally in Los Angeles. Uh, There are a few different ways that you can kind of interact with the group. We primarily teach uh, a structured learning environment. So it's about 18 months. Um, It is in a set cohort of about, usually about 10 couples 
um, over that 18 months, and it's meant to take people from having very little context on rope bondage overall to being able to do fairly complex things like hang people up in the air and suspensions and stuff like that. Along the way, we teach them about pattern, we teach them about technique, we teach them about the art of it. And really the goal overall is to sort of give them a toolkit that once we are done, they can go out if this is a thing that they're passionate about and experience and engage in the art in whatever way they see fit. So. so does it feel almost like kind of like a mission for you because it doesn't seem like you're doing it for like like as a job, as like monetary compensation? I'm not doing it for monetary compensation, but I would say that my motives in a lot of ways are kind of selfish. So I find that the structure of teaching on a regular basis and having students that I engage with on a regular basis forces me to continually interrogate sort of my ideas behind why I do what I do. Mm -hmm. So why does this thing turn me on? How does this thing work? Mm -hmm. What is the engineering behind this? Mm -hmm. How can I make something more safe? Um, How can I interact in different environments in this way? It helps me challenge sort of my perceptions of the larger community around me. Mm -hmm. So as we've taught more and more, we've done a lot of work to reach out and engage uh, people of color that might not be engaging in rope bondage, Mm -hmm. underserved communities, uh, the queer, uh, trans communities. Uh, And we've been lucky enough to have like representation in students from all of those different places, Uh, female riggers, like all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. It's caused me to want to engage in those uh, different communities and it's caused me to learn a lot about myself because there's a lot of learning to be had in those areas. Right. So for our listeners who don't know, um, a rigger is somebody who mm. does the rope bondage, who does the tying. Accurate. So um, I just wanted to clear that up. Um, so it seems like a lot of your motivation then is sharpening your skills and staying within the community. It seems to, it's like, you know, kind of a, um, obviously like a social thing. Yes. And... Um, and then you were talking a little bit before we started the show about somebody who recently graduated your program. Uh, so this is this is hilarious. Um, we're very like we sort of have very strict rules about um, being ethical in how we engage in our students. So mm-hmm. a lot of people will engage in instruction or will get involved in the community trying to find partners, mm-hmm. uh, and that's a good way to necessarily socially meet people. For me and for us, having the power dynamic of a teacher and a student. Um, and then having some sort of tying relationship on top of that isn't something that we find terribly ethical. Like, mm-hmm. it's a little skeevy. Yes. Uh, so we sort of tell our students, like, hey, while you are our students, we will not tie you. We're not going to do scenes with you. We're not going to engage with you. Like, sort mm-hmm. of that's not going to happen. One of our students, who is also a very good friend of my partner and I's, um, when she was graduating, had her birthday, like the same weekend we were holding her graduation party. Mm-hmm. And the one thing she wanted for her birthday was um, she had, um, my partner and I have a vac bed, which is basically like a latex bed that you get in, it vacuum seals around your body, and it's super sexy and cool. All she wanted for her it's birthday. It's like being, almost being sucked into like a, ba- like those, um, just for a visual for our listeners, uh, those vacuum seal bags. Yeah. The, that, like you put the sweaters bags. in and you like <laughs> suck out all the air out so you can like store it into your storage. So yeah, that's basically what we're talking about with Except people. Except human size. Yes, and right. Sexy. Exactly. <laughs> and like the, the only thing she wanted for her birthday was she was like, look, I'm graduating. What I want for my birthday is for each you and your partner to get into this back bed, seal you up. I'm going to cover my body in lube, and I just want to rub sort of all over you. <laughs> um, and it was really interesting because we were like, cool, okay, we'll, we'll do that. We're friends. I like that'll work. Yeah. She showed up with a gallon of lube, which <laughs> is a lot of lube. Uh, much more than was needed for this process. Um, and <laughs> she like, still has it for the rest of the year. She's I know, good. I know. She let us keep it. We're, oh, we're okay. good. Um, <laughs> he so, brought it. Oh, yeah. you. Yeah. No. <laughs> Not. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what about the fisting? 
Oh, right. The fisting. The fisting is supposed to happen today. Sorry, we're getting off topic. Okay. <laughs> so I get I get this bed and they sort of seal me down and she's like lubing herself yeah. up. And she's an attractive woman. Yeah. Uh, very attractive. And she like sort of climbs on and 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 one of the things that she started, sort of started saying is like, she like looks at me and she's like, I'm not your student anymore. And I'm like, okay, I don't know how I feel about this now. And then she's just rubbing like, herself like, all over you guys. Everything everything was great <laughs> until you needed to remind me of that fact. And I'm, I'm like, okay, this is... Am I aroused? Am I not aroused? How does this work for me? Um, yeah, so a uh, little bit of an awkward situation. Now, how does a vacuum seal bed work specifically? Like, how do you breathe? Do you have air holes okay, where so your mouth and your nose are? You have multiple options okay. on how to on uh, on how to get involved with a vacuum bed. You can okay. you can get one that your head is entirely encased, and like mm-hmm. your nose, you can breathe out of your nose, or mm-hmm. you can breathe out of your mouth. The one that I have actually leaves your entire head exposed. Oh, okay. Because I mean, face sitting is a thing, and mouths yeah. are a thing that you yeah. can use That's, for things. The, the, these are all true. Sure. Um, and so the, you can do that. You can have grommets built in to where genitals can be exposed. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's kind of a, a build-your-own option that exists. Wow. The, the one I had thing, no idea. The oh, one no. thing that I love about, like, the S&M community is all the different, like, tools and, like, contraptions that people come up with. It's so inventive. Like, if you ever look at a stockroom catalog. Yes. Oh, yeah. I remember this one that there was this gag where basically it like forces you. The guy wears it around his gen, like his genitals, and basically it like ties your mouth onto his balls. Yep. And Whoa. then you're like, ta- like you're so like you're his just balls tea-ba- gag you, teabagging him, the and then you're time. like attached to his yep. crotch with this contraption. Yep. <laughs> there are a myriad of gags yeah. like that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So many. Pretty things. impressive. I thought that was kind of cool. Actually, yeah. I yeah. haven't been able to find it. Nonsense. Uh, Anybody wants to gift it to me, I would totally take it. You should check Noted. out. Noted. Uh, All right. That is <laughs> my birthday's away. in September. I'm turning forty. I'm just saying. Christmas gifts <laughs> makes sense. Ball gag for no. Literally, not, not a, a ball gag. A literal ball. Literal ball, ball gag. Maybe you can separate it with balls gag. Ball like, gag. A ball gag. But this is a balls. This gag. is a balls gag. I can't yeah. do the ball gags. It it throws my jaw my jaw off. It throws off my bite. I've done the ball gag before. I don't like oh, it. Oh really? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, after a while it can get annoying, but I mean, I do, I do like ball gags. I have one. I have a bit. I yeah, I was gonna say favorite. I prefer the bit. The bit, yep. yeah, the bit's nice. The O is kind of annoying, like the one that the drool uh, gags. Ah, uh, okay, drool. So you have to one. get it's it's with gags in general. It's important to find like a good manufacturer that can get something sized yeah. really well to your mm-hmm. mouth. Like right. I found that. Regardless of the type of gag, oh, oh, and it sort of should be said like I am uh, a rope switch. Okay. So I do both the topping and the bottoming. I both give and receive things. So okay. I have experience from both sides of those things. Okay. Uh, so for me and gags, like having something that's fitted well to my mouth changes the experience entirely of like how the gag works. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure yeah. too. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a matter of comfort mm-hmm. for those involved as well. When did you – okay, so – how did you get into this entire lifestyle? So I have been – I've had thoughts that I would construe as kinky for like as long as I can remember. I okay. remember being a little kid and trying to convince like my babysitters to tie me up and leave me in the closet. Like those were <laughs> things. And then go going into high school and going through puberty and like having girlfriends and trying to convince them that this was a thing that I wanted but not necessarily having the context of how to say why I wanted yeah. it or what it was to them. Yeah. Um, and, and that was sort of like really, really kind of dif- difficult for me. Um, the first relationship that I genuinely sort of had like an out-and-out ability to kind of talk through what my kink was and how it worked was Libby and I. Mm. Um, so that was the first. And and I think it was a, there was a funny portion of our relationship where I think we were both – staring at each other going like, 
wait, is this a thing you're really into, or are you like, <laughs> are you just doing it because I'm into it? Right. I feel like we both felt, and we had a conversation where I was like, is this? I mean, were you guys both at this place where you were exploring your right at the same time? Okay. It was. It was when we were pretty. We were pretty like deep into the relationship. We hadn't gotten married yet, but we were living together. Yep. I think. Um, and it was sort of a, wait, you're into this too? Wait, you're into this? And sort of just a recognition in each other that it was something that we both wanted to explore, and we just happened to come to that place at the same time in our lives. So it was kind of just serendipitous. That's cool that you yeah. guys got to kind of explore that. Because my introduction into the S&M world was, um, I guess for me actually this was probably more fortunate because I really always want to be with somebody who's dominant and someone's going to lead mm-hmm. the way for me, like sexually, that's very important to me. And I was with like a professional dom and he knew rope tying and nice. he did all that stuff. So he really like brought me in and, and taught me everything and showed me the ropes, <laughs> so to speak. But um, <laughs> but that was my introduction was, was like I'd already been, I'd always been interested. Like sure. kind of same thing as you. I remember being a kid and playing like cops and robbers with some friends and then like I got caught and they like tied me up and I was like, and they put me in jail, and I was like, "This is good." And then I kept like trying to intentionally lose, so I could keep getting tied up. But <laughs> so like, you kept then, getting yeah, caught. catch me, catch me. And then they're like, you're "Oh, the you're terrible criminal. at this game." You're and the I, worst criminal. I know, ever. seriously, right? Yes. <laughs> I'm stuck in the window. <laughs> but <laughs> Come she, yeah. she winked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she was on the other side of the camera. <laughs> um, so yeah, and I remember being confused by that but, as a young age too. I'm like, why? It's like, oh. but I remember I remember having a very frank conversation with Libby where I was like very concerned that this was a thing that I very much wanted, and that she was just like kind of um, sort of humoring me, right? Where I was like, is this re- like is this really a thing that you want to do, right? Um, so yeah, I, that it was it was amusing, and then since then. Um, at a myriad of relationships, after we got divorced, some of them had kink involved, some of them didn't. Um, about seven or eight years ago, I sort of said, like, yeah, this is a thing that I need to have as a part of my life. Is that me? I swear I turned my phone off. How not dare it. you, Holly? Not it. Can I, can I also point out the fact that I, uh, and you know what's great, too, is this is like a fucking, like, Sales call. call. You know what's so funny too is that on set too, mm. guess whose phone always goes off in the middle of filming? Yours. Yeah. yeah. The director. The I, f- I, have to file my, I have to fire myself all the time. <laughs> what? I thought you did. I just shut it off. Oh, I thought you put it on silent. <laughs> He's like, why don't you fucking turn it off, you idiot? I thought you did. Sorry. Okay. All right. Back into it. Yeah. Do we I've, need do, I've done this before. I've done, I know. I've done this before. I swear to God, I'm such a pro. Okay, go on. Sorry. No, I mean, um, so there were there <clears throat> were several years that I wasn't involved, and, and maybe seven or eight years ago, I made a decision of like, hey, this is a thing that I want to be mm-hmm. kind of central in my sexuality mm-hmm. and how I interact with people. And I started actively sort of seeking out partners and actively sort of seeking out learning opportunities. Um, Can I ask you a question? When sure. you were in relationships before you said some had kink and some yep. didn't. When you were in relationships that didn't have kink, did you feel like something was lacking? And do you think that perhaps the lack of that maybe ended the relationship? Like, did you feel like I you can't? I can't. I can't point at any of the relationships that I don't have anymore and point to like, well, this ended because of not kink. Like right, okay. this, this ended because that wasn't a part of that. That wasn't really a part of my mind. Like it is um, a thing that I very much like. Uh, there's no time that I. It hasn't been a thing that I haven't wanted. Like mm-hmm. I have always wanted that thing. Yeah. Um, but the engagement that I had with the people or the relationships that I had were always such that the people were worth maybe not having everything that I wanted. Because mm. for me, like what my end of my relationship with the guy that 
you know, I had the SNM. It was mm. just too much for me. Like sure. he wanted more and more, and I was like, this, this like got to a point where I was like, I am not comfortable with this, and I could feel like he, want, you know what I mean? And it was just like we were stuck, and I just felt like it wasn't going to go anywhere. What I mean, to, to point back to like <clears throat> the conversation that I'd referenced earlier, for me this needs to be a thing that both like it's right. about mm-hmm. connecting right. with my partner and how I connect with that person. Mm-hmm. And if that's not a way we're connecting, even if they're sort of trying to humor me or if they're trying to do a thing that I like because I like it, the spark of that engagement kind of doesn't exist. Because I think also, too, there's something very, I guess in sex in general, but I feel like there's something about, like, um, there's some kind of intellectual aspect to, like, an S&M relationship, you know what oh, I yeah. mean? And, like, that power exchange and all of that. There's got to be, if there's an inauthenticity to somebody who's who's trying to engage in that, it comes off really absolutely weird. And, absolutely. and it just doesn't work. You have to, you have to buy into the... F- Fantasy of it because yes. a lot of it is a lot of it is fantasy. A That's lot of it is true. is an engagement that you create in your own head, and mm-hmm. if you don't buy into that, that's true. Because basically, what you're doing is like you're almost playing it like this danger game. But it, in truth, you know, you have safe words and you have boundaries, and all of those are well established before you start. And I would say, like, I would I would caveat that to say in like sort of what is the idealized responsible version mm-hmm. of kink. There are folks who don't in, engage in that thing responsibly or ethically. And in some instances, yeah, there there are times where they do have safe words and they do have uh, communication, but one or both partners sort of ignores that. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's when you get into like really serious trouble. Yeah. Yeah, I would say the biggest the biggest thing for me when when we were involved in it in general was just the the whole trust thing. You have to be able to trust the other person yeah. that you're with implicitly. It just seems like everybody that I speak to who's involved in um, the SNN community in some way, just like the one thing that they always talk about is consent and boundaries mm-hmm. and communication. It seems to be something that's so incredibly important, at least to the people that I've had conversations with. But perhaps because I've just had conversations with. Professionals and you know yeah. people who and really also, respect the community. It's the thing that draws the line between what we're doing and abusing someone, yes. right? either emotionally or physically yes. or psychologically. Like so, that has to be a very sort of distinct boundary. And even the understanding of consent and how people think about it, like, continues to evolve. Mm-hmm. There's uh, broad conversations about how consent works in our culture in general, like mm-hmm. outside of kink. And those same conversations are going on and have hit the king community, whether it be in rope or or, or other places. Mm-hmm. Um, so that understanding and that engagement like continues to evolve. How people have conversations with it continue to evolve. Yeah, it was interesting because um, again, you know, when I was in this relationship, I remember my boyfriend telling me, he said, you know, the power really lies with the sub, not with the dom. And I remember like when he first told me that, I was like, I didn't really kind of understand what mm-hmm. that meant, but then. You know, the longer we were in the relationship and the more I understood about, you know, S&M and all of that, I understood that, you know, the sub does get to, in a responsible relationship, does get to call the yeah. shots and the boundaries. And you and know. I think that there's, like, to me, I, th- I look at it as like a partnered event, whether it be yes. rope or whether it be something else. Like, we yes. are both partners and we're working to create something that's mutually enjoyable for the two of us. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, now what is the most, now there's different kinds of rope, going back to rope. Sure, sure. There's different styles of rope tying, is that correct? And um, do they have like different names? Yeah, I mean, so there are, I'm, I'm a person who very much believes in the philosophy that sort of like rope is rope. And mm-hmm. the more you get into like different styles and different people, the more kind of divisive you get into communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not a super big fan of that. Okay. Uh, generally there are sort of. Uh, understood within the community, there are kind of like two different uh, approaches or looks to rope. So there's sort of what would be 
considered like a, a Western bondage style, which are things that uh, evolved out of the United States or evolved out of um, the UK. Um, a lot of people that I point to is like if you're a fan of like um, Irving Claw photography or mm-hmm. like Betty Page or that kind of damsel in distress bondage, a lot of what you see in that tends to be Western-based bondage. Okay. Um, there's a huge sort of history around the art of rope bondage that comes out of Japan. Right. Um, they had a very unique and interesting development of it because of a few things that are inherent to their culture, uh, but a few things and ideas that they have about art uh, that sort of created a, a differently influenced art. Uh, it's interesting that the more people kind of research it, the more they understand that there were actually some influences that went both ways, which is interesting. Could you give some examples of that? Sure. So um, Japan, unlike um, a lot of the West, had um, in in historical periods like the Edo period, and actually, point out, I'll get to this in one second, put a pin in the Edo period. Um they didn't use metal shackles and chains in the same way that we use them for um, apprehending criminals mm-hmm. or during times of war. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have access to those raw materials in the same way. Mm-hmm. So they would use rope as mm-hmm. a part of it. And there's actually a Japanese um, martial arts uh, called hojujitsu uh, that developed just about manipulating rope, um, arresting people, and binding people. Oh, um, interesting. So, so it's a you, combination of the martial arts and the rope bondage. So if you happen to watch uh, the HBO show Westworld. Yes. Uh, did you watch last week's episode? Um, yes. No spoilers. So when they're in Shogun World, there's mm-hmm. a point at which they are captured. Yes. And they're tied with rope. Yes. Those ties <laughs> those ties are actually strikingly historically accurate for Hojojitsu ties. And they're, they're probably some of the most historically accurate that, that have been seen in kind of like popular television. Yeah. In any time that I can remember. So to see that, I was like, oh, that's super cool. Um, So there's this history of that. Mm -hmm. Then sort of like anything else, history gets interpreted through art. Mm -hmm. So through historical plays, through paintings of historical topics, um, that then ends up starting to inform how people think about porn. Mm -hmm. And in probably the 1930s, you start to see a beginning of like this uh, burgeoning artistic movement towards rope as an erotic art. So mm-hmm. there's a Japanese guy named Ido Seiyu who happened to be a fine, uh, a fine artist already. He did art for like magazines and newspapers and stuff. But he was very much um, interested in this sort of like historical time in Japanese culture and this type of rope and rope bondage. So he probably most famously recreated a uh, – there's a Japanese painting called Lonely House in the Adachi Moor. Mm-hmm. which is a pregnant woman who is being uh, suspended upside down in rope and sort of tortured by this old hag. Um, and he actually recreated this in a photo with his wife in like the 1930s. Wow. Yeah. Um, so from there, there's an entire kind of like erotic, erotic erotization, is that a word? Um, approach sure. Approach to erotic rope bondage mm-hmm. from that culture mm-hmm. that has a lot of features and influences that don't kind of exist in the United States. Oh, interesting. Else. Yeah. Wow. So there's a lot wrapped up in shame. Right. Uh, there's a lot wrapped up in sort of kind of like being the bad girl. And, and this is in the same way that we sort of have a culture around like if I'm spanking you, mm-hmm. you feel embarrassed because like as a child being spanked was yes. sort of how corporal punishment worked. Yes. There are a lot of instances where being bound. So rather than spanking a kid, we'd tie you up and put you in the closet. Was that a that, thing? Yeah, that was a thing. Wow. So they would do that to children. They would do that to servants. They would do that things. Uh, to, really? Yeah. So, wow. so there there are people that have that same association, okay. but with rope. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 
Right. I was t- I totally. But they're about they're that. huge, like, and and it's burgeoned to a place where they're like professional artists out of Japan who tour and do performances in places and do like. They'll do like Paris Fashion Week and like big events like that. There was a painting that was hung of Lady Gaga in mm-hmm. the Louvre, uh, and she was bound and suspended by like a friend of mine, and that ended up becoming a painting that got hung in the Louvre. So that's incredible. Yeah. So there's like sort of a sexual practice to it, and there's an artistic practice to mm-hmm. it. So there are all of these different kind of versions or flavors of this thing. What do you have a specific like version that you would call your rope tying? Um, I'm pretty heavily Japanese influenced. Okay. Um, that said, I think that it's, um, it's best summed up in like, I use rope to sort of connect with people. Like Mm -hmm. that is my, my enjoyment comes from tying that person and seeing their reaction. Um, unlike a lot of, in my experience, uh, SM practices, Rope is way more about the process and not necessarily about the outcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if I just wanted it's about the journey, not the destination. Accurate. <laughs> if, I, well, if I just wanted somebody bound, like cuffs would be way more efficient. Right. Like, yes, that's true. There's something about the whole like process of all of it. They call it. What do they call it? Because I did so. I shot a rope tying book for Lord Morpheus. I don't mm. know if you've heard of him. I know exactly who Morpheus. Okay. Is. Yeah. So I so I re- I shot um, a couple of his bondage mm-hmm. books. And uh, at the end of one of our shoots, they actually one of his riggers tied me up, mm-hmm. and I totally got into this whole like trance kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I forgot what they called it. Uh, there's a there's like a rope space subspace thing that happens when you're tying people. Yeah, that was, you can had, go kind of deep into. That's kind of like what I got, and there was something mm-hmm. like soothing, and yeah, like, I just kind of got a little. I yeah. always tell everybody it's like. Um, it's like a really nice hug. Yeah, that's always been my my feelings about when I when I used to be tied and everything. It was yeah. just like having a really nice hug for a long time. Yeah, it's interesting how people react to it differently. You know, some people really find like some kind of comfort in being um, tied up, yeah. and then some people find it absolutely terrifying. Yes, you know, regardless of the situation. And it's in in a lot of the processes. Like there there are things where it's like cool. I I the person I'm tying. I touch their body in a place, mm-hmm. and then I replace the place where my touch is with rope, and then yeah. that becomes an extension of me. Mm-hmm. Mm. And then that becomes like they they slowly are put into a form or a shape based mm-hmm. on kind of what I decide and how I decided. But it's all sort of me. I suddenly become right. like eight arms or ten arms. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're all grabbing at different yeah. places. What's the most complex uh, rope work that you've done and how long did it take you? Oh, man, uh, the most complex rope work that I've done. So uh, there's a pattern that I teach that's pretty complicated uh, that has to do with, like, diamond patterns all over the body. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can go entirely up and down the body depending on how you build it, and mm-hmm. that can take 45 minutes or so. Okay. Um, it is... It's not something likely I would do for like sexy time mm-hmm. uh, because at some point when you're working on things that are that complex, like it doesn't become about the person that you're interacting with. Yeah. It becomes about this pattern that you're tying. Yeah. Um, it looks really great for photos. Yeah. Um, it might look really great for videos, but actual like interaction with a person, it's kind of too intricate to do that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it tends to be like there are things that I will teach for the point of sort of teaching them in the exercise, mm-hmm. but that I wouldn't use for like sort of personal use. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of sort of complicated patterns that you can put together that aren't necessarily the sexiest when you tie them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the sexy part of the tying is the part that I really like. Right. Yeah. How long do your ties normally take? Uh, depends on the scene. So it's not it's it's sort of like like a continued evolution. Okay. Uh, there's a rope artist out of Vancouver named Barkus who has a very good like to me is the best description of how this works in a scene. 
uh, that is seen as kind of like an interview, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like what we're doing now. Mm-hmm. You sort of ask me a question, and then I respond, and then you see something interesting in that question, and that causes you to ask something different, and then we continue the conversation that way. Okay. But you're sort of leading it, right? Right. So in rope, if I'm tying, I put rope on you. You have a reaction. Your mm-hmm. face changes, your posture changes, your demeanor changes. I look at that change, and then I make a decision about what I'm supposed to do next. So you tie somebody up, maybe not necessarily knowing where you're going to go. You kind of gauge it depending on that person's reaction. Yeah, and depending on what we've negotiated ahead of time. Right, right, right. Um, but that back and forth to me is sort of like that ideal. And then I get to make decisions about, like, cool, I've – done this thing that makes somebody maybe uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Is it, Are they uncomfortable in a way that they like? Like, am uh-huh. I giving them pain that they like? Am I giving them pain that they don't like? Do I want to pull away from that? Do I want to push into that? Mm-hmm. What can I do to do those things? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in teaching, like, I try to give people the tools to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. So, like, oh, if I want to give someone more pleasure, what could I do to do that? Mm-hmm. Maybe I could tie their hair or maybe I could tie their crotch or mm-hmm. maybe I could do one of a myriad of different things that he would do would either add to the sensation of being bound, add to the sensation of being submissive, add to their arousal, add to the pain they're experiencing, whatever those things might be. Mm-hmm. Now you said you're a switch, so you um, do do- play dominant and submissive roles. Um, we tend to associate as top and bottom just okay. because my partner and I don't really do sort of like the power change version of things. We're sort of like the giver and the receiver of okay. something. Okay, so could you kind of explain to me like how that works? So like as a bottom, what would that mean for you? That means I get tied up. So and, you get tied up, yep. but that's it. No. Um, there can be a, sort of like a myriad of other play that happened there. There can be impact play. Um, there can be sensory deprivation play. Mm-hmm. Uh, there can be tease and denial play. Mm-hmm. There can be a whole lot of other things that go with being tied up. Like I happen to have a partner who is an excellent rope top. Mm-hmm. Um, so being tied by her is super duper duper fun for me and I very mm-hmm. much enjoy it. Uh, but there are a ton of other types of play. And I mean sexual play is part of most of our play. So, But do you find that you switch like submissive and dominant roles ever or do you pretty oh, no. much stay um, in them? So th- there are, are kind of a myriad of things. Uh, uh, the way that people approach switch relationships, mm-hmm. which are the same as sort of any relationship, people kind of always do it differently. Right. I think that my partner and I are, are probably uh, more abnormal in the sense that we have no kind of set dynamic between us. We okay. will switch on a fairly regular basis, okay. and we both enjoy sort of both roles. Um, a lot of switch dynamics end up being like people who are polyamorous and have multiple partners, and there's one partner that they're dominant to and one partner that they're submissive to, okay. or one person they're a top to and one person they're a bottom to. Mm-hmm. Um, in ours, that just sort of flexes. Yeah, so I'm just I'm asking because I'm pretty rigid in my roles, sure. and I've always been that way. I very much like being submissive and the guy being dominant, and um, I just wonder like if I could ever explore flip-flopping it. Sure. But I, I feel like I don't know. I'm the same. Could. I'm I'm a total sub, but being with Andy because he was a switch, we definitely experimented with uh-huh. me being a top, but it just doesn't it doesn't work for me. It didn't work for you. And, and genuinely like in that situation and and this is a lot of the people that I encounter like I probably spend more time as a top than I spend as a bottom. Right. Um and sort of like in my relationship with Libby when it was like, "Oh, this is a thing she doesn't like." It wasn't me constantly pressuring her like do that thing. Do yeah, that thing. no, definitely yeah. not. Definitely yeah. not. It was just one of those things that because I knew that he was a switch, I wanted to I wanted to try it to yeah. make sure that that was something that w- could be a dynamic in our relationship and it just never it never mm. came to fruition because it's not something that I want to do. However, in my relationships with women though, I tend to be dominant. Yeah, I could see that. If I was into chicks, I could see myself being that way with with a girl. But mm-hmm. with a guy, I don't know. Yeah, I don't like emasculating men. No, me neither. 
Why do you presume? Why do you presume that somebody empowering you is emasculating? I, I guess it's not. It's not. No, sorry. it's a good. No, it's, it's a good question, wrong. and yeah. I'm glad that you bring it up because you're right. Like it, it definitely. I have like, you know. I mean, I want to be more like accepting and and sure. accept gender fluidity and that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. I have to admit, like, there's this kind of well, like even, part like, of me that's just like the idea of. I would I guess know. I would guess if you turn that sentiment around mm-hmm. and you would say that it's disempowering for you both as women to give up power to somebody else, isn't that a little bit misogynistic? Oh, totally. Yeah. So, and and for me, in that idea, like <clears throat> anyone who is giving up power to someone else, like the presumption that precedes that sentence mm-hmm. is that someone has power to give up. Mm-hmm. And to me, the people that are most interesting to tie or engage with are the people that have very strong personalities. Like mm-hmm. my partner has a very strong and what would normally be considered like sort of a very dominant or very, um, yeah, just strong personality mm-hmm. overall. And to me, that is like her willingness or someone's willingness to trust me with that. Mm-hmm. Like that is an act of power. To be able mm-hmm. to have power and give it up yeah. is way more powerful than, than than sort of being under somebody's foot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, I definitely, I hear you because like, like I said, you know, I, I, I feel like there's there's still like sexual hangups that I still like bump up against. Yeah, you know absolutely. what I mean? Sure. Absolutely. And there are for everybody. Like yeah. that's that's just the nature of how we grew up and yeah. who we grew up around and what the gender roles we were given and what those things mean. And some of it is less healthy than other stuff. Right. Um, but I think it's important to sort of continually interrogate right. that. Mm-hmm. Right. Because yeah. I wonder like if I was in a situation where I was with a guy who'd be willing to like, you know, let me dominate them. Um and I really just like gave my all into it and just kind of threw all I mean inhibitions out the window. Would I like it? I don't know. And there's some stuff like um, my current partner wasn't necessarily inherently dominant when we met. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there were some discussions about how that might work. I mm-hmm. think some of the interesting things that I kind of brought up that uh, caused her to sort of want more experience of it is like, hey, you like nice things being done for you, right? Mm-hmm. If you could just text your partner and be like, hey, when I get home, have a drink waiting for me. Mm-hmm. That's a thing that she does. She like on her way home from work, she'll just text me, and uh, her nickname for me when when she wants me sort of in that bottom space is to call me Manservant Panda. <laughs> Manservant Panda. Yep. And she, <laughs> well, he's already he's already Panda. Yeah, I'm, I'm an Andrew, so I'm an Andy, so I'm an Andy Panda. <laughs> okay. Like that happens. Okay. So she just texts me with like Manservant Panda makes me a gin and tonic. And when she gets home, there's a gin and tonic waiting for her. Or and, she'll, you, and you've kind of set the mood for the oh. evening. Or she'll text me with like Manservant Panda shaves my legs. And when she comes home, she'll run a bath, and I'll shave her legs for her. Wow. And sort of there's <laughs> – Sorry, I just – See, okay, yeah, that part I can do. I know, right? Libby and I were like, wait, <laughs> like, we don't want to shave our own legs anymore. I can do that. See, this I can is, absolutely this do is, that. This is the gateway drug. Like, just start off with telling people to do things but, that you would but like here's the, But here's the thing. Is that dynamic already exists within the relationship that I have now. Like I could ask my partner to do things like that, and yeah. he would do them. And honestly, I think he would be submissive when it came to sex play as well. Um, were I to go in the headspace of wanting to be dominant, but I just it's it yeah, doesn't see, I don't appeal think you, to you, me. You know my boyfriend. I don't think I could. That would no, be. your boyfriend definitely <laughs> not. <laughs> your boyfriend definitely not. My boyfriend, but yes, it, because he's mentioned a couple of things here and there from time to time. But yeah. but your boyfriend. Oh no. my god! If I if I called him manservant, can you imagine? He would laugh his head off and yeah. be like, "Oh, whatever." You'd be like, "Yeah, like, eh, make your own fucking drink." Yeah, <laughs> it's it's, it, it's baby steps. You start with little things like that, and then it's like. 
oh, now now you're going to do this sexy thing for me. Yeah, like, no, like, this if, is the thing if I spoke, if I spoke to my partner do. like that, he would probably get a little turned on. Yeah. He'd be like, oh, yes, okay, yes, ma'am. And he would yeah. do it. <laughs> like, it wouldn't be a I problem. I can see that. I can yeah. see that. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's you sort of have to take it in like little bite-sized pieces and mm-hmm. then kind of grow out like mm-hmm. how that works. Um, now, what would you give, what advice would you give to somebody who's listening perhaps to the show and is interested in get just getting into SM, maybe just trying a little bit of bondage, trying a little bit of spanking. Sure. What what advice would you give them? Where would you tell them to start? Um, it, it's kind of difficult uh, because, uh, sadly, a lot of the information that exists in the world exists on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a ton of information on the internet, mm-hmm. and a ton of it is also garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's kind of a tough place to go. What? Yeah. Yeah, you have to take the good with the bad. Um, it's, it's interesting. On the way over here, um, Libby and I actually had a conversation about her giving her partner a book called Different Loving. Yeah. Um, it was sort of the first book that she and I read, and I think we both connected to it because it's very much approached from a clinical standpoint Mm -hmm. and it has a very like broad lens on Mm -hmm. kink it sort of addresses a whole bunch of different things in separate chapters it's called different loving and i I don't remember who the author gloria brame is one of the authors i can't remember who the other one is um but but it's it's written by a couple yeah okay and they sort of go through addressing multiple kink topics Mm -hmm. and they sort of address it from like a very clinical space but then each chapter is also has a story by someone who is a uh, someone who is involved in that particular scene or that mm-hmm. particular kink, mm-hmm. where they kind of talk passionately about what they like about that thing. So it almost gives you like a scientific approach and an emotional yep. approach. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's good. Yeah. It's it's a yeah. it's a it's a very um, good book. So that's a good thing. Um, there are the one thing that I would tell anybody who's curious about this in the world is that there are already people out there who are into this thing. No matter what your kink is, there are people that are into it as much, if not more, than you are. You don't need to be ashamed about it. You don't need to be ashamed about any of the things that bring you pleasure um, as long as they're done with the consent of the people that you engage in. Um, Feel free to put yourself out there. Like if you're into kink, there's a group in your city or your town that meets on a weekly or monthly basis to sit down and meet other people who are into that thing. I mean, we met a group in Bakersfield when we were there. There which are is... groups in Bakersfield. If there are groups in Bakersfield, there are groups anywhere. <laughs> yeah. um, if you're if you're in Los Angeles um, and you're specifically interested in kink, there are a myriad of places. There are great classes at places like Pleasure Chest. There are great classes at places like Stockroom. Um, in addition to that, you can look on places like Facebook or FetLife. Uh, FetLife, F-E-T. F-E-T-L-I-F-E dot com. Uh, it's sort of a social network for kinky people. Yes. Um, as a social network, it's got some problems. Um, as a place to find events that are local to you and things to do that are local to you, it is a great place to do that thing. Um, in addition, um, if people generally have questions for me, I can be found on the internet. We can get into how to contact me at the end of the show. Um, but I would say like start by reading up and doing your research and figuring out like Cool. Like, um, there is a distance, I believe, between what we have in our heads that sounds like really sexy, and what that equals when you actually do that in the real world. Oh, 100 percent. I have crazy fantasies in my head that if they happened to me in real life, I'd run screaming. You'd be out terrified. Oh, um, there's no way. And a lot of people like um, my name for them is like, oh, they're your bathtub fantasies. Yeah, they're the things that when you're in the bathtub and you're going to masturbate, that's what you think about yeah, when you yeah, masturbate. Yeah. Uh, but they're not necessarily the shit that you want done to you. Nope. 
Um, and so before you start getting involved with with sort of anybody, kind of try to tease out, like, these are the things that I really think that I want in person, and these are the things that, like, if they happen would definitely be bad. <laughs> um, and, and more than anything else, as you start to meet people, probably one of the biggest signifiers to me as two people who are acting ethically and unethically are their willingness to answer questions and their willingness to answer why. When you talk to somebody about why they want to do a thing, how does this work? What's safe about it? What's not safe about it? How many times have you done this specific thing with this specific implement? Anyone who's open to ask, answering those questions and seems to be fairly upfront um, mm -hmm. and honest about those things uh, is usually a pretty encouraging sign. Uh, anyone who's standoffish about it or tells you, like, because you're submissive, you shouldn't ask, like, how this paddle works. Mm -hmm. Or you don't need to ask me about how electrical play works. I can just do that to you because I'm the dominant and you're the submissive. Mm -hmm. Probably runs screaming out of the room. Yeah. Like, anyone anyone who is very standoffish or very confrontational about you protecting your safety, you protecting your consent, um, you protecting your joy and pleasure in doing this thing – like not somebody you need to play with. And and just because I think it's when you first find that new space, you have wanted that thing for so long and you've thought about it for so long that it becomes really easy to say like, well, I have an opportunity to have a thing that I've wanted my entire life and I haven't had it before. So cool. I'm going to make some compromises on who this person is because they'll give me this thing. Mm -hmm. Don't fall into that trap. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of people out there who will give you that thing and make sure it's the right person that gives you that thing. Mm -hmm. uh, not that it's... It's so almost like when you wait to drink until you're 21 and then you just go and you fucking drink like yes. three different kinds of liquor and like beer and wine and you yes. wake up the next day with a terrible hangover. And there's nothing there's nothing worse for me than like seeing people who have that enthusiastic about that pleasure uh, that enthusiasm about that pleasure and, and then game, have a bad experience and have a bad experience yeah. and they're like I don't want to I, I don't want to engage in that anymore yeah. because I had a bad experience yeah that it's 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 terrible like mm -hmm. it's terrible yeah um, I often teach my students that like there are outcomes of scenes that you have with people the best possible outcome you can have is that when you get done both of you say I had a great time that was exactly what I wanted let's book another day to do that thing mm -hmm. right away. The worst potential outcome is I don't ever want to do kink again. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. and that to me is a horrible outcome, right? Because you've now taken that thing away from that person, right? Right. And right. that's unconscionable. Yeah. So speaking of kink, yes. I believe you brought some ropes. I did. And are we going to do a quick tie on Libby? I can do a quick tie on Libby. Okay, so we're going to do a quick tie on Libby. Okay. People who are watching the video will be able to see this. I'm going to take my headphones off. Yeah, you can take your headphones off. Cool. Do you want me to talk and tie while I do this? Um, I think hand. so. I can do both. Or I'll have Lib – do you need to stand, Libby? Do you need me to stand? You, you can sit. sit. Um, oh, okay, cool. I, um, I'll, I'll take my sweater off. Well, if she yeah. stands, is she going to be out of the – I likely fight? won't. I'll adjust. Likely okay. standing might be better for this. Standing might be better? Yeah. Okay, I'll just move the chair out of the way. Can, can we bring the mic up to meet yep. her? Yep. Sorry, people. We, there's a lot of fussing that has there's to happen now. things happening. Like there we go. There you go. All right, yeah. so Libby's standing. Hi. Yes. She's wearing a shirt that says forever young, but then she crossed that out. just says hungry. That yes. sounds about right. That's true. Yeah. Constant. Um, no one's forever young, but you can be forever hungry. Okay, so tell us a little bit about what you're gonna so do. I haven't, I haven't tied Libby in. It's been a long decades. No, a decade. not de a, a decade. decade. A you decade. can hear him. Wait, right. no. Um, yeah, to that four, fourteen years. Yeah, yeah, fourteen. So years. I was gonna do something simple with just your hands behind your back. Are you open to that? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Okay, my hands are gonna be in and around the top. That's and the totally of your okay. I want to make sure you're okay with that. You sound like I a, give consent. You sound like those uh, people at the airport. 
Um, <laughs> when they I'm search gonna you. Use, I'm going to use the back of my hand to touch your bathing suit area. I'm going to use the front of my hand to touch <laughs> everywhere else. Back of the hand, front of the hand. Um, so I'm going to start by, I tend to like my bondage by bringing people's arms behind their back. You can just relax that. Yeah, yeah. So, behind her back. Okay, so he's folding her hands behind her back. Yep, and then I'm tying her two hands together behind. So he's tying Should I, do you want me to turn around, so? Yeah, it'll be fun. Okay. I'll do a, I, I I'll would do a full 360. So no one would be able to see it. That's true. That is very true. So, Wait. both of those hands are tied, and I'm going to do basically what is called a box tie. Or for the Japanese, what would be called a gote or a hands behind tie. Okay. So what you're going to have is sort of two wraps. One that goes over the top of the breast or pecs, and then one that goes below. So this this is the one that squishes your boobs out. Makes mm-hmm. It can squish your boobs up, depending <laughs> on how you choose to do that thing. My boobs have been squished a numerous amount of times. <laughs> and not just by rope. <laughs> I'm too um, young for a mammogram. <laughs> You're never too young for a mammogram. Get your mammogram junk, girls. <laughs> Be safe. So, um, <clears throat> okay, so now you're adding another piece of rope. And I can see that you have brown rope. Do you have, like, very specific type of rope that you buy? Like, so where, I, where's the best place to get this rope? kind of rope? Sure, sure. Oh, yeah, here. Oh, yeah. This is what the back looks like. Okay. So I use a rope that's made out of jute fiber. Mm-hmm. Uh, most jute fiber is made in. You're staying on my room. Oops, sorry. Is made in like Indonesia or I believe in um, India right now. Okay. So there are a myriad of different things that you can get rope made out of. Most right. people who tie will use jute rope, or they'll use hemp rope, uh, okay. or they'll use like nylon rope. Okay. Do uh, you have like a specific color or anything that you stick to? I tend like I tend to like natural. I tend okay. to not like colors. Okay. Um, but you can also get things in all of the colors you might imagine. Yeah, because I had a guy who used to work for me. Um, you might actually even know him. Um, he goes by Phoenix. He does like uh, uh, Phoenix is part of the Double Mass Society. Is he? Yeah, Phoenix is one of my longtime friends. Oh my god. Okay, so he used to he used to assist me. Yeah, Phoenix yeah. has been. He used to work for me, and he oh, he does always purple rope. Yep. Uh, yeah. yeah, Phoenix is very much into the purple rope. Always purple rope. <laughs> so he used to do. He's if you guys go on my website, if you go to hollyrandall.com. Um, you can see actually some rope bondage stuff that he's done for me. Oh, nice! Yep. You Phoenix, can tell by the um, by the purple rope. Phoenix is awesome. Phoenix also does. Uh, Phoenix is the house dominant at a club called Bar Sinister. Yes, that's what it is. So Bar Sinister, yep. and he flogs people. Yep. yep. And he has a very like. So there's a whole technique to flogging people. Yep. Um, it has something to do with like the way that you yep. do the wrist or something yep. like that. I, um, for we me personally, we used to make our own floggers. <laughs> I actually have. I should show you when I get home, Libby. So I had a fan who um, I used to shoot a lot of fetish. I used to have a website called Forever Vamp. And um, he made me my own floggers, nice. and he, in, he embossed my initials at the end of each leather strap. Ooh. I still have it upstairs. I'll show it to you. That's pretty fancy. I one in um, red and one in yellow and one in black. Oh, that's awesome. I know, right? He called himself the Easter Bunny. He was out of Australia. This is like <laughs> years ago. True. Amazing. But for me, like, so what's your favorite Form is banking because I love the flogger. Like the flogger is my favorite. That's so so that o- open hand and flogging is the only spanking that that I would I do. Um, right. I used to when we first started and we tried paddling. Paddle was a hard limit for me. Um, caning is definitely I a hate, hard limit I did for me. Caning once and I cried. I don't mind. I don't mind um, the. You like it? I like. I like receiving it. Really? Really? Yeah. Why? No, I just learn something new about Andrew. It hurts. 
I I also don't mind. I, I don't mind a writing crop too. I like I like oh, yeah, yeah, writing, writing crops. crops okay. Yes. But um, actually, when I so when we first moved to Los Angeles, because we had already been involved in in kink a little bit before we moved here, um, I actually moved here and started fetish modeling. I was a bondage model, mm-hmm. but then one of the companies that I was modeling for, they brought a new in-house photographer in, and he was taking photos of a lot of the models, and I was actually the girl tying all of them up mm-hmm. um, for his photos. So I ended up learning a lot from Andrew. Um, sorry, I'm concurrently being tied at the chest right now. Yeah, <laughs> suddenly got um, suddenly got a boob job. But yeah, it was it was a lot of it was a lot of fun learning what he was doing on me, and then being able to implement that mm-hmm. on a lot of other other models at and the time. This Granted, a, it was much. I I was doing it at a much you know smaller, smaller level. Not not what he does. Interesting feature of my relationships. I seem to have a tendency for people who are inclined to turn them into switches, <laughs> or to like it, it's part of I think me enjoying teaching. Like I just yeah. enjoy teaching people. Right, 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 right. So, are we going to leave Libby tied up for the rest of the show? <laughs> it's up to you, and it's up to her. I think we. I think we have to. We I mean, have, I can. Like, I'm totally comfortable left. doing it. Yeah, a few minutes left. I'll sit down. Just be tied. I've done it I before. Think you should go back to the office like that. <laughs> it would be, it would be a little well. difficult for me to drive Andrew back. To Wait, you know what's really office. funny is we got an email right before um, the show started from digital from um, Twisties asking us about. Uh, the bookings for one of the girls for next oh, yeah. month, and I should just take a picture of you and send like, it hey, to Rachel. Be like, sorry, Libby's a little tied up right now because <laughs> yeah, yeah. they're like, hey, did you get back to us about like this other girl? Like, no. She just sent me. She just sent me the girls. Um, I, oh, I know. This morning, yeah. So no, but it's we actually got her booked, so we're good. Oh, good. I booked it right before I left the office. Oh, good. So, so now you can be all tied up. Outside. And beautiful. Backside. Backside. Very cool. That's really neat. So if you were to do like, if this was like something that you were going to spend a massive amount of time on, you're going to photograph it, like would you, in the back, would you like tuck those ends under? Sure. Well, actually like, most of the you worry ends about I've all that tied stuff? sort of away. Okay. So these are actually, the ends that are attached to this are kind of much longer, but I've kind of hidden them a little bit. Okay. Uh, you can. You can do a lot of that stuff. I mean, obviously these are a little bit longer and fuzzier than I normally keep these. I normally have them clipped down. So they're not right, 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 right. Okay. Apparent. Don't you have to treat hemp rope specifically when you get it raw, or oh, you can, you, hemp rope, can you, you have, have to, to treat preheat sheet rope? Actually, a hilarious story. I'll, yeah, here, I'll let's, let's, let's let Libby sit down. Let's, let's we need to put her mic bring down my too. microphone back. Just down. bite it with your mouth. <laughs> there you go. And she can't scoot forward on the chair. No, I can do just, it. Just leave her. There. I can do a lot of Nobody things. Nobody help her. I can do a lot of things. Bound. <laughs> Andrew actually bound me to a chair one night and said, "If you can get out of it, I'll have sex with you." So I did. But by the time I got out of it, I think it took me about forty-five minutes. I was too angry to have sex, <laughs> so I just went to angry. bed. Uh, no, funny story is uh, there's been a whole lot of discussion recently for people to use natural rope about like how you treat it. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a joke, I did a tweet, uh, uh, a whole like uh, uh, Twitter thing where I treated my rope by sous vide it. Sous-vide. So, so sous is a cooking style where you use oh. like an immersion circulator. So oh. I, oh. I, I, I put like uh, beeswax on my rope and then I vacuum sealed it into a bag and then I dropped it into water that was like 155 degrees so the wax would melt into the rope so it would be properly treated. It was all meant to be a joke. Um, but yeah, I went to – there are – 
if that joke is any indicator, there are as many different ways to treat rope as there are people who treat oh, okay. it. Okay, so it's not like you have to just like sand it down and put oil on it or anything like that. Or um, it'll be probably fairly uncomfortable if you don't. Like it's going to be no, scratching. No, no, I, I know you have to treat it. I just thought there. I didn't realize there was like different ways of treating rope. Yeah. yeah. But, but generally, what you would do is you would get hemp rope and then you would sand it down. Uh, not sand it. So you usually do something to kind of like break up the loose fibers yeah. that are on the rope that yeah, are because they're generally pretty out. scratchy. Mm-hmm. Some people. People will use like wrap it over a carabiner, like a climbing carabiner, oh, okay. And, oh, okay. and sort of tug it through, and that'll break the rope up. Uh-huh. Um, I just put mine in a dryer, in a clothes dryer, uh-huh. for like thirty minutes, and all of that sort of fuzz oh, comes off. Interesting. Um, once you do that, uh, for me treating, I will do that. Then I will uh, use a gas flame to sort of burn off any of the additional fuzzies mm-hmm. that are on that rope. Okay. Uh, then I usually wax it using beeswax, and then I'll bake that beeswax so it's sort of melts into the dead grass that mm-hmm. I'm going to be hanging people off of. Mm-hmm. Um, once that's done, I sort of clean that up, and then I've got like a little finishing um, wax thing that I put on my rope that is beeswax and um, coconut oil and a few other things. So it smells in a particular way mm-hmm. because I can just pick up my rope and smell it and be like, that one's mine. Oh, so you like scent your rope. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's very much. <laughs> very much. That's really cool. Yeah, if, if it's ever confusing, I can pick it up and be like, yep, that's smells like mine. So, <laughs> so funny. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for coming in today. Of course. Totally my pleasure. Amazing to have you in. Um, Can you tell everybody where they can find you on social media? Sure. So on Twitter, I am underscore OG underscore pan underscore. Uh, The same thing on Instagram. Um, I'm OG Pan on FetLife. And uh, if you have any interest in rope bondage in the Los Angeles area, you can go to devilmasksociety.com and find about find out about not just me but all of the people that are involved in our crazy group. Now you take um you take people on and don't you run like a whole I think you said 8 months or something like 18, that? 18, 18 year months. and a half. So new people can't come into the program until somebody else has when left. We have, when we have new applications open, uh-huh. so we open applications. We're hoping to have another application set open within the next three months or so. Okay. Uh, but in addition to that, my group also runs a Bondage 101 class mm-hmm. um, at a place called Chromaloom Studios, which is in Culver City. Oh, okay. Um, and they, they do like a sort of like a meet and greet, uh, like a meet and greet uh, social, uh, and then like a 101 class that sort of teaches people the basics. Um, I believe those are on the uh, second and fourth Thursdays of the month. Um, but you can find that on uh, either Facebook or FatLife. Okay, fantastic. Cool. And um, Libby, do you want to tell everybody where they can find you? You, you can, can find me in dog? Holly's office <laughs> is where you can find me. And, and I already email you guys all the time anyway, so you don't have to send me any new emails, I promise. <laughs> You'll hear from me on the reg. Do you want to tell people where they can find you on social media? Or do you want to be? Um, it sounds like the answer is maybe not. Maybe. No, no, no. You can find me on Twitter on Libby Gets Low, just all one word. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Well, thank you so much for coming, of Andrew. Course. Libby, thank you You're for welcome. coming. Um, you didn't really have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I don't have a choice in leaving either. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to leave you tied up there. Okay. Um, everybody else, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, you can follow me at Holly Randall on Instagram. 
and on Twitter. And you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash Unfiltered. I also just relaunched my website, hollyrandall.com. And uh, Libby and I have been working very hard on that so website. Hard. It's been Yay. a huge endeavor. So um, please come by and check us out and maybe even join. That would make yes, that would make, us, that would make us all very happy. Yay. Do it. Um, and also make sure that you guys tune in next week. We'll see you then. Well, that was a very educational episode. Um, I haven't really dabbled in bondage or BDSM in a while, so I have to admit that that was personally very interesting for me, and um, it was fun to watch Libby get tied up. I kind of was a little bit jealous. Uh, I personally love getting tied up, but thank you so much, Andrew, for coming in and teaching us all about rope bondage, and I hope that somebody was inspired to go and seek out further education on it and maybe even take one of his classes. Next week, we will have Olive Glass on the show. Olive is a fairly new girl in the porn industry, but she's already um, made quite a stir. She's become a household name and a favorite very, very quickly. And I've had a lot of people requesting for me to have her on my show. So I'm very thrilled to have her here. So let's get to know Olive Glass. <laughs>